God's name. You shall not misuse or take in vain the name of the Lord. Claire is expecting a baby. It's true. I say that with some fear and trepidation because the most, the most embarrassing moment ever in the whole of my life, almost, is to refer to an expectant mum that wasn't. Uh, and uh, I live with that, so I have to see the head almost before I'll commit myself uh, anymore. So, so, so the truth be told, Claire says she's expecting uh, a baby. And I hope Rich is still in. Where's Rich? I, I like to direct quite a lot. Oh, good, there he is. Fantastic. There's loads to get ready, Rich. A huge pile of baby paraphernalia. Mamas and papas and mother carer, delightful shops for you to enjoy. Uh, things for you to buy from baby grows to strollers. Uh, sterilizing equipment to nappy sacks. It's all necessary. And then, of course, there's the choice of name. He's looking at me. And uh, the more he looks at me, the greater my delight. Uh, Especially choosing a name. What an absolute nightmare to choose the right name for your child. You think you've got six... Uh, six months, Christ, that's quick. You think you've got nine months, how hard can it be until you've gone right through the complete, unabridged, exhaustive book of names to discover there are no names that you like at all. And the pressure begins to mount, what actually are we going to call this blessed thing when he or she arrives? How many fathers have gone to the hospital with one hand on the steering wheel and holding the book of names in the other? You've got to be so careful, haven't you? Why did Jamie Oliver call his daughter Daisy Boo? You've got to avoid bad initials. Peter Oscar Osborne was delighted with his name until he first needed to initial a mistake on a cheque. He hasn't got a private number plate either. (laughs) You've got to be careful about stupid or silly associations. Even that you might think it's such a quaint, clever play on words. Why would you call your daughter Holly if your surname is Wood? It might be fun, but for less than 30 seconds, probably. Claire knows somebody called Cherry Pie. How cruel is that? Andrew, I think, knows someone called Bob Slay. <laughs> and I thought to myself when I discovered Richard Gears, uh, son's name, I thought, so clever, so kind of, no, Homer. And then there was The Simpsons. And it took on something altogether different. To choose a name, you have to engage your brain. Although given some of the names that are appearing these days based on obscure flowers or entire football teams or pieces of fruit, no less, one wonders how much people think about it. In the culture of the Bible, unlike our own, the name was extremely important. It was much deeper and carried much greater significance than we do today, although I hope we think carefully about it. In Bible times, the name uh, was so important because it was there to express purpose, 
maybe of the child or to describe the situation out of which the child was born or to say something about God or something profound about a situation. So when Hannah, a lady in the Old Testament who was unable to have any children and suffered great shame because she was barren and she prayed to the Lord and the Lord gave her a child, she named him Samuel, meaning God heard me. It expressed something for her of her belief in God and of the moment that was surrounding the birth of her child. Uh, Sometimes names describe what a person would do. Jesus was named to describe, amongst other things, what he would do. You're to give him the name Jesus, meaning he saves because he will save his people from their sins. You might imagine then that if God himself was to have a name, it would not be frivolous or empty or meaningless, but carefully, purposefully, deliberately chosen. And you'd be right. Furthermore, to the people of the Old Testament, a name was not just a string of letters or a label, but a name was an extension of the person themselves. So to mess with the, uh, uh, with the name was to mess with the person. To mess with God's name was to mess with God himself. And that's what lies at the heart of this commandment. So what was God's name? What does it mean? And how might we mess with it? If you've got a Bible looking around the pew there, uh, I'd invite you to turn to page 60, 60, and I am going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 3, when God gave his name. Chapter 3 starts on page 59, I think. But uh... Before we get into it, just listen for a moment. The situation is this. God had promised a man called Abraham in the Old Testament that he would make his descendants great and that his descendants would be a great blessing and go on to be a blessing to the entire world. By the time we get to this book of Exodus, God has kept some of the promise. Abraham's descendants are great in number, but they were not experiencing great blessing. In fact, quite the opposite. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were being treated harshly. And God, keeping his promise, sets about a plan to rescue them and to bless them. And he decides he'll use a man named Moses to help him in his rescue plan. So one day Moses is out in the fields doing his day job, which was looking after the sheep, and uh, he was a shepherd. And God appears to Moses to ask for his help. And if you read the story, and I invite you to when you get home, you'll see that there's a bush that we call the burning bush, which actually wasn't burning at all, rather a bush that was on fire but not burning. What a strange sight that must have been. And out of this bush, God speaks to Moses. And it's a great passage. And Moses, like most of us, says, I can't possibly help you, God. What use can I be to you? I'm too little, I'm too small, I can't speak properly, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. And God is trying to encourage Moses that he can use him in this great rescue opportunity to bring these descendants up out of slavery and to bless them. And as part of this conversation, Moses says, as another excuse, well, what on earth am I going to say to the king of Egypt the Pharaoh, when Pharaoh asks, who's your God's name? 
And we pick up the story. God says, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Literally, I am, I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. In verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, and you will know from what we've said here before, that every time it's a, it's a capital Lord, the four word letters in capitals, it, it means this I am word, this Yahweh, this I am word. So uh, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is my name. And as you would expect, God is saying, this is my name, and it's so significant, I want people always to remember what my name is. And you make sure that the next generation knows my name. And as much as you can, make sure that generation passes my name on to the next generation, so that it might always be remembered. So you've got this name, I am. Yahweh is the Hebrew, or or, or I'll come back to it in a minute, the closest we can get to understanding what it might have been. You've got this name, I am. Now what do you do when you hear a name that you haven't heard before? You go, hmm, that's interesting, even if you hate it. And you go, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, What does that name mean? And obviously, the same question applies here. God says, my name's I am. You go, huh? What does that mean? How do I understand that? That's unusual, God. It's not in the top 100 names. What does it mean? It means, firstly, God is awesome. God is awesome. That word doesn't do it justice, but I have to find one word, and uh, there it is. I am. That's what God says. He says, if you want to understand me, listen to my name. I am. I always have been and I always will be. I've always existed. No one created me. I have no beginning and I have no end. I need nothing or no one to make me or to sustain me or to strengthen me. Uh, God was before time. He will outlast time. He says, I am. I'm alive and I'm real. And without me, nothing else would exist. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-present. In fact, I'm all. I am. That's my name because that's who I am. God's name reminds us that he is awesome. He is other. He is transcendent. He is way beyond us, outside us, above us. He can't even be described alongside of us. And because of this, God's name was treated with the utmost honour and respect. When copying the Bible, when they got to write the original Hebrew, where you and I find the capital Lord, when they got to write that bit in the scroll, it was so important that they didn't stop while they were writing it. And so they would load up their pen for their quill, 
full of ink so that they need not stop. Even if the king entered the room as they were writing it, they would not stop. Apparently, sometimes there's evidence that they would completely wash themselves before writing that word. They would change their clothes after writing that word. In fact, they were so respectful of this word that they didn't even want to write it out in full, so they left all the vowels out. Some of us write like that sometimes, don't we? This will get them, let's leave all the vowels out. And so we're now not sure which vowels should go where in the name. It's Y-W, sorry, Y-H-W-H. We think it's something like Yahweh. But it's the best guess we can come up with because the name was so honoured, so precious, that they didn't even write it out in full. Respect for the name, yes, but not really. What was it really about? It was respect for the God whose name it was. Because they felt that if they dishonoured His name, they were dishonouring their God. Dishonouring the person. Now whilst names are nothing like as important to us in our day, we do recognise that to dishonour somebody's name is to dishonour them. If you forget somebody's name, if your name is forgotten, it hurts. Somehow you feel a part of you has been forgotten or missed out. When people misspell our name, it annoys us. We want to put it right. They can't even get my name right. How much more with God and His name? So the bigger question for us, I think, is not do we show respect for God's name, but do we show respect to the God that His name points to? Do we behave as though God is God? Bigger, better, beyond, above, God. In the beginning, at the end, God. You see, every time we reduce God to something less than He is, we have taken the Lord's name in vain. We've misused its meaning. Misappropriated who He is. And every time we've acted like our God is not all-powerful, is not the one alone who commands our allegiance and our obedience, not the one final judge in every matter, not the source of all wisdom, the ground of all being, the ruler of all things, every time our words, our thoughts and our actions reveal that we, rather than Him, know what's best for our lives, we show that same root of disrespect as the person who says out in the street today, oh God, as some kind of exclamation. Because we've reduced God to less than who He is. And what could be more disrespectful? If we're living as though this God doesn't matter, doesn't exist, isn't totally, utterly in charge, then that's a very serious thing. If he is that God, and if he is everything that his name suggests. It was the name, of course, that got Jesus killed. Jesus gave himself a number of different titles, didn't he? And one of the most famous set of titles began with the phrase, I am. And the phrase is constructed in such a way as to really emphasise I am. If you're using a word processor, you would have I am in bold and underlined. That's the, the force of the language, it's an emphatic phrase. And remember, for all of those thousand years or more, 
they've been writing this I am very carefully, not even spelling it quite out because it was God's precious name. And then Jesus pops up and goes, hey, I am the bread of life. And they go, what? What? What did he say? What? Did, oh, I, I What? And almost the rabbis would have cowered, they covered their ears for hearing what Jesus was saying. It would have cut right to their heart. It would have hurt them deeper and more profound than when you hear someone go, oh, Jesus Christ, in an exclamatory way. Suddenly it would have gone right to their heart. But what did he say? And before they had time to think about it, he said, hey, I am the light of the world. And they go, you can't say that. Jesus, you can't say that. You are making yourself equal to God. You can't do that. Only God is God. He is no other. There is no one like him. You cannot say that about yourself. And then he goes, I'm the gate. And they go, stop. You must stop speaking like this. If you don't stop speaking like this, Jesus goes, I'm the good shepherd. If you don't stop speaking like this, we'll kill you. To which Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he managed to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just squeezed in before they nailed him to a cross. I am the true vine. That's why they killed him. That's why they killed him. Because he said, I'm not just another one like you, although I am, but I've come from God. I am God here in the flesh. He is the awesome, true God. And I am Him and I am from Him. Jesus was saying that I'm taking this name that is above all things and I'm applying it to me because that's who I am. And that's the great debate about Jesus. If He is that I am, then everything about our thoughts and attitudes towards Him matters. If he isn't, doesn't matter at all. Did you know that in the ninth edition of the concise Oxford Dictionary, the entry under the word Jesus reads, Jesus, colloquial interjection, an exclamation of surprise, dismay, etc. Then in brackets, it has name of founder of Christian religion, circa AD 30. How awful is that? How awful is that? But it's not as awful, it's not as awful as lives being lived with total disregard for who Jesus is. To say it is one thing, to live it is another. And the challenge of God's name, the great I am, as do we live as though it's true? Every bit of nuance in it. The great and awesome God. When we treat him as anything less, we're misusing, dishonouring his name. Secondly, God's name reminds us not just that he is awesome, but secondly, that he is accessible. When Moses asked God for his name, it was a bit of a cheek, don't you think? Have you ever... Uh, uh, asked, been on on the kind of formal terms with someone and thinking, well, I'm just going to say, what's your name? You always live with the possibility that they'll reject you and say, well, I'm Mr. Harris to you. Moses, so bold, he goes, 
Well, God, what's your name? Even more remarkable than that is that God doesn't say, look, my name doesn't concern you, Sonny. Call me Sir, or Your Majesty, or the Lord God of Heaven and Earth will do. But God gives His name. God wanted to be on first name terms with His people. We didn't used to use people's names in our culture. There was a time when I would have been, quite rightly so, Mr. Harris to you. And you would not have dreamt, you cheeky little urchins, of course, calling me anything but Mr. Harris. I think some of those days ought to return. (laughs) All these rude and cheeky friendship terms that you, or not so friendship terms that you used to call In that formal setting, what were we doing? It wasn't wrong, it was just a different emphasis. We were stressing the distance, the formality, the social structure that apparently separated us because I was a vicar or something. And you couldn't possibly call me by my name. Sometimes, especially outside the church, people still fall back on that approach when they discover that I'm a parson. And assume some kind of formal convention. So I get the, the Reverend Harris, Pastor Harris. You can even get called Father by someone who's twice your age. It's absolutely fantastic. A friend of mine had a Christmas card addressed P A S T A. Twists, shells, spaghetti. You could have a Christmas competition, couldn't you? Your minister is a pastor. What kind is he and why? Now, of course, using people's first names today is commonplace. Although we might have lost something in certain contexts by doing that. What are we doing, though, in saying, if someone comes to me and says, Mr. Harris, Reverend this, I'll say, please call me Simon. What am I saying? I'm saying I want to be approachable. I don't want a formality to separate us. I don't want to, to, to uh, 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 put a distance between us in our relationship. I told you uh, about my agony at the uh, eye clinic at Heathrow Hospital when they discovered I was a reverend and wrote in big red letters right across my file, and it's still there today, Reverend Harris. They might just as well have written right weirdo across the file for any hope I have of being treated normally. And of course I'm not. People come out and they say, Paul Matthews, Mary this and that. And then I can tell when the woman's going to come out and call my name. He kind of walks a little differently, do you know? Shoulders back and chest out and stomach in. And then it goes as if she's auditioning for the Pope. Reverend Harris? I'm thinking, that can't possibly be me. And when I get up, the rest of the people in the clinic are thinking, it can't possibly be him. They knew their eyesight was bad, but not that bad. You see, using my title and not my name is a kind of recognition that there's some distance between us. Uh, uh, There's there's a separation because I'm this and they're that. Imagine if you're going to meet the Queen and you get, I'm told, you get a lesson in, uh, in royal etiquette. You can't speak first, obviously, and you always have to refer to her as Her Majesty. But imagine you started getting to know her a bit. You bumped into her. Ha! as if you do, on a few occasions. And you're chatting away, yes, your majesty, no, your majesty. And she stops and says, oh, please, just call me Liz. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. 
Just call me Liz. But what would be fantastic about going and saying, hey, I call the Queen Liz. What would be fantastic about that is not that you can call her Liz, but more fantastic would be what it means to be able to call her Liz. The closeness it expresses. The formalities are over. Pushed out of the way. Sovereign and subject would be coming together. God says, call me by my name. I think that is remarkable. God says, call me by my name. And when God said, call me by my name, He was saying something really, really huge. His name had already made clear. He is the great I am. There is no other God compared to Him. There's no one greater or bigger. He is before all things. But when He gave us His name, He said, I might be all of that, but I'm personable, I'm approachable, I'm accessible, I'm reachable, I'm touchable. Still as awesome and as powerful as ever, but now within our grasp. Not only can I reach Him, but I can be real with Him. He was declaring the kind of relationship that He wanted us to have. And hey, every time we say God is distant, and every time we think God doesn't care, and every time we act like God is not involved, uninterested, unmoved, unconnected with our lives, every time we forget about Jesus, the greatest example of ever is God becoming touchable and reachable, we take the Lord's name in vain. Because the fact that He's given us His name is the best illustration ever that He is nearby, that the distance between us is of our own making and not His. The very fact we know it, can use it, reminds us that He's accessible, approachable. Those fires going on or off? They're going on? Don't know. I feel like I'm about to self-combust up here. (laughs) Maybe it's the rapture. (laughs) Any of you coming? (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, moving swiftly on. Right, here we go. Okay, I think I have a third point here somewhere. Got no idea where we are, what we're about. Okay, God's name reminds us that he's uh, um, accessible, that he's awesome. But something else, something else. You see, a name conjures up an image or a set of feelings. If I say to you, Adolf, Nero, or positively, if I say to you, Teresa, linked with mother, You see, names carry something with us. If you're a teacher, almost every name has been ruined for you, hasn't it? Because it has such a dreadful association of some wild animal that's been in your class uh, over a period of time. But names evoke impressions and images. Well, what, what image, what impression did God want his name to evoke in us? You know, hello, my name is I Am. And it's kind of incomplete in a way. And maybe that was there on purpose. Because if I said to you, hello, my name is I Am, you would be desperate to say, I Am what? You see, God might be awesome, and he might be accessible, but what kind of God is he? Do I want to approach him anyway? 
Well, before you get to the end of the book of Exodus, God has answered that very question. I am what? Exodus chapter 33. And what's going on there is that God is, uh, Moses is asking God to reveal himself to him in a fresh way. And God says, yeah, you're on. I'll do that for you. And if you look at Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19, page 92, thank you. Verse 19, the Lord, capital letters, the Yahweh, the I am, the I am said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the I am, in your presence. Whoa, God's going to unpack his name a little bit. And then, to cut a long story short, you get quite a number of verses. Jump to Exodus 34, verse 6, because that's when it happened. And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, I am, I am, I am what? Well, he goes on, stick with it. I am the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. I am what? I am compassionate, I am gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in love, I'm faithful and loving and forgiving, I'm just and will not leave wickedness unpunished either. That's what my name stands for. That's the impression I want my name to evoke. That's what I want you to to, to hear when you call my name. God's name reminds us that he is amazing. If you could choose a God, what kind of God would you choose? A God who's compassionate or hard-hearted? A God who's slow to anger or has a fiery temper shooting off in different directions. A God who's rich in love or one who's rich in retaliation and retribution. A God who's faithful or a God who's fickle. A God who's forgiving or a God who's condemning. A God who uh, does nothing about all that's wrong or one that takes wrong seriously and will make sure that all is just in the end. He's all we would ever want him to be and so much more, and God says, look, hey, it's all in my name. It's all in my name. A couple of people at the door, could you just go and see where it is? It's all in my name. I want you to know exactly what I'm like. And so, every time we think that God is less than compassionate, every time we think that he's full of anger, every time we think that his love for us is weak or fickle and he's not faithful, he's sometimes for us and sometimes against, every time we believe that or are not sure that he will forgive us, every time we behave like our sin is of no consequence, we have taken his name in vain. Every time we think in any of those ways, we've misused his name We've misunderstood who he is and the name that he's given. Are our lives living out the verse that Mary read to us some moments ago? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. When we don't think God is as awesome as he is, we've taken his name in vain. When we don't think God is as accessible 
as he is. We've taken his name in vain. When we don't think God is as amazing as he is, we've taken his name in vain also. It's to these things his name points. Let's not misuse, misunderstand, misappropriate, misalign the name of the Lord. Let's pray.